Yeah, um, as Brandon said, my name is Sam. If, if you're new here, and there's certainly some faces here uh, this evening that I don't know already, uh, I'm Sam. I'm originally from Australia. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel Friday. It's great to see you here, and uh, I really hope you enjoy your time worshipping with us. And if you've come yet, come freshly to Freiburg, jetzt, um, nach dem Sommer, after summer, then I really hope that you will um, consider joining our community here at Church at Five. Um, for the time that you're in Freiburg. And we might, we might reference that a bit in the message tonight. As Brandon said, we're in Philippians. And um, we, we tend to go through books of the Bible here at Calvary Chapel from, from front to back. So we're in Philippians. And we don't always do that. We've got plenty of freedom to do other things. So, But just so you know, we're currently in a study of the book of Philippians. And as, as Brandon said, we're coming tonight to uh, the end of chapter 2. But for those of you who were here last week, last week we did the the Christ hymn, those famous verses in uh, Philippians 2 from 5 through 12, where Paul uses a very old text to describe the example that Christ Jesus set us. And I I hope that if you were here last week, you've been really thinking and praying this week about humility, about the example that Jesus set, about where uh, there might be vestiges of pride uh, in your life, and, um, and perhaps the Holy Spirit has been leading you also, helping you to think about how you can better imitate Christ's example to have the same mindset as he did. And if we just um, read verse 5, we, we, uh, we won't be doing verse 5 tonight, but verse 5 is great because it, sets, it gives us the context. What are, we, what are we even talking about here at this point in Philippians? Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 2, Um, you'll see that Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Is that that up on the screen? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Yeah, that's where we're at. So that's what we're thinking about. Um, We're thinking about how we relate to each other and how Jesus um, is our example, is our role model in these things. That's the gist of of all of what we're reading tonight. So, but let's, let's just step back a bit. We're in Philippians. Philippians is a letter that's sent by the Apostle Paul to a church at Philippi. No surprises there. That's where it gets its name from. And um, it's, it's one of my favorite letters. I think it's one of Brandon's favorite letters too. Perhaps that's why he chose it. It's a very positive letter. As, as I was listening to what Brandon said last week, he said, it's the kind of letter you'd want to get if you're expecting a letter from the Apostle Paul. And that's a really good way to put it. It's the kind of letter you want to get. If I got lists from the Apostle Paul, I'd be thinking, this is a good thing that I got this letter. And um, Paul sent this letter 10 years after he'd seen um, the people at Philippi for the very first time. So he traveled through there um, in the early 50s, and now he's in the 50s AD, not 1950s. Um, And now he's sending this 10 years later in the early 60s. And uh, so 10 years later... And, and that's, we, were think, we were thinking before that you know, we, we want to rest in God's promises. And I think it's worth pointing out that um, our Christian faith is a historic faith. We're not kind of teaching you here about some abstract spiritual ideal which has, which has no real connection to real history or to real life. Our Christian faith is grounded in things that actually happened. The, the New Testament is eyewitness reports of historical events that actually took place. There is a real place called Philippi. There was a real person called the Apostle Paul. So our, our Christian faith, that's one thing we can take simply from these, this data about the letter, is something which has everything to do with real human history, with reality. 
So I want us to be thinking today, as we read this, we've, we've just seen um, Paul's writing this letter to a church. That's so important. It's so important that we, that we think about this. This is a group of believers, a, a community, a family even, uh, that they're, they're all receiving this letter together. Um, and I'm sure they would have been sitting together in their houses. It's interesting how we've sat together tonight, isn't it? All over the place. I think they would have been a bit more cosy where they were sitting back then. They didn't have huge cinema halls. They would have had to get up really close, get into that personal space. Oh, it's great how we can just spread out here in the cinema, you know, just sit away from our family, away from our brothers and sisters. Of course, I'm joking. So, but it's important to recognize that this was sent to a family, to a family of believers in a church. And we want to be thinking about what that what that means tonight because, as we read in verse 5, Paul is asking the church there to be thinking about their relationships with one another. And so I'd like you to be thinking about that tonight as we go through um, the verses tonight, how you see um, maybe church at five, how you relate to church at five, to the, to the people here, to the church maybe in, more generally, Calvary Chapel or the church here in Freiburg. What kind of mindset do you have when it comes to the spiritual family of the church. I'm going to be looking at a couple of things um, today, or, or one, one basic thought and how that relates to us as a church family here tonight. So without uh, further ado, let's read together the verses 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2. So Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, yeah, as you have always obeyed, Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So just just a note right at the start, Paul is writing these words from prison in Rome and yet he's full of joy and he's asking the Philippians to, the, those in the Philippian church family, to join with him in rejoicing. So we want to be reading all of what we read tonight in this spirit of joy. Paul, is, um, Paul misses this church. He had great relationships there. He hasn't seen them in a long time. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again. He's confident that he will see them again, but he's not in control of circumstances in Rome. It may be that he never sees them again, and yet he's full of joy as he writes these words. So we should be full of joy also as we consider these things. So, let, so we've, just, we've just heard the text tonight. I just want to place it a bit in, in context in the letter. So the letter opens the first 11 verses of the, of the first chapter, and Paul does what he always does. He's like, I'm, every time I pray for you guys, and he's always praying for them. He's always praying for them. So again, just be thinking about this during the message tonight. What is your mindset towards the church? Are you praying for the church? Not the church in the sense of an institution and a building, but in terms of this is the family of the spiritual family of believers. 
where God has placed me? Am I praying for them? Am I thankful for them? Because that's what Paul, um, amazingly, in spite of big problems in some of the churches that he pastored, he was always um, thankful to God and praying for them. So that's how he starts the letter, as he always does. Predictable Paul starts the letter by being thankful for Christians. Um, unique trait. And then, um, then he explains his current circumstances, and he tells them where he is. He tells them that he's in Rome, and he tells them what's going on there. He talks about what's going on in Caesar's household. So he's a, he's a prisoner of the, the emperor in Rome. And then he kind of he, he does a bit of thinking aloud, as it were, musing about whether or not he will um, be released from prison in order to go on ministering, or whether or not it's more likely that he will die. And he, he, he seems to be sure that God isn't finished with him yet, and therefore he will regain his freedom. And then we come to verse... Um, Chapter 1 and verse 27, which kind of is like a verse which, which stands like a heading above everything that follows in this section where we still find ourselves. And let me just re- read the first part of that verse to you. Chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes, whatever happens, so he's talking about himself, whatever happens, whether I get out of prison in Rome and come and see you guys again, or whether I die, I'm convicted to die uh, as a prisoner of the emperor, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself. So live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live worthy of your calling as followers of Jesus, is what he's saying. And that is kind of like the heading for the whole next bit of the letter. How, how does that look? What does that look like to live worthy of the gospel of Christ? And we saw... Uh, last week, that one of the major points for Paul is that we follow Jesus' example. And in one of the, the major ways we do that is that we imitate Christ's humility. That Christ came to seek and to save what was lost. He didn't come to that he might be served, but rather he came to serve. That's his model of Christian ministry, of Christian uh, leadership, of Christian community, to serve not to be served, and that means he humbled himself. And so Paul really places this as the foundation for the Christian life together, what I'm going to call the common life, life in common, life together. So that's um, not just humility, though. Paul also says we've, we've been called to suffer like Jesus as well. So, excellent. We can all look forward to that. We picked a good deal with this Christian life. But truly, um, that's, what, that's what Paul says at the end of chapter 1. So we've been, this is not an easy life. This is not an easy life. But it is a great calling. And Paul is wanting to say, okay, you guys live according to, worthy of your calling as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And now, um, and the link, link to our text tonight is, you see it in verse 12. That's how Paul starts this whole text. He says in verse 12... Therefore, therefore. So everything he says tonight, he's saying, in light of all I've just mentioned to you, uh, because of everything I've just said to you, now this. In light of everything I've already written to you about, now this. And therefore, he says, my dear friends, or my beloved in the original, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but more now in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's interesting here, just on the side, Paul mentions obedience that um, he, he expected in a good way, nothing negative, but he expected the Philippian church to obey him because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. But we want to get to uh, the core of what Paul is saying here. Continue, so it's a process, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And I think this is a really important verse that we stop and maybe take a look at what this means. What is Paul saying when he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? For many of us, fear and trembling is, is always negative. Fear and trembling, not a good thing to have. Um, and that's mainly true, I think. I mean, fear and trembling in, the sense, in that sense are a good response of the body uh, to a danger. They help us recognize this is, this is a dangerous situation. I have to get out of here. Maybe if we see a, a lion coming towards us. That's, that's a rather extreme example, but I think most of us would be fearful and trembling. And that's the body's natural reaction to run away from that. And so when we think of fear and trembling, we think danger, negative risk. But is that what Paul means here? So let's stop and talk a minute for what, for, about what Paul is, is talking about here when he says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to talk about uh, a couple of big, big words here. Um, maybe, I mean, I'm hoping you've heard them all before. Words like justification. If you, just, I just want to, I'd just like to do a show of hands. Who's heard of justification before? Most people? No? Okay. Or what about sanctification? Another big word, four syllables, sanctification, five syllables. Um, and it's important um, to understand how these things play a part. So, what, so we say here, according to uh, Paul's uh, doctrine of salvation, the gospel that, that Jesus gave Paul, that Paul then preached, that we are saved by faith alone. I think you would have heard that before, um, especially in this Reformation year, 500 years of the Reformation, the rediscovery of Paul's doctrine, that we are saved by faith alone. That, that, that's referring to our justification so to justify means um, to, to, sh- to, to vindicate, to show someone as being in the right, in the right. So justification refers to our standing before God. If God looks down on us, the way he sees us now, he sees us without Jesus Christ as sinners. And we can't be proved to be in the right because God looks at our account and he sees our sin. Which, of which we are all guilty. So the question uh, that, that Paul was concerned about, um, that, that people like Martin Luther were concerned about, is how can I, as a sinner, stand before God? Stand before God because I've got all of this guilt and sin and God is a holy God. And, and how do I deal with this? Well, the answer that, um, that God reveals through Jesus Christ is that He is the one who justifies the ungodly. That is, Jesus Christ takes our guilt, takes our sin, and he pays the just penalty for it on the cross. On the cross. So, so Jesus has taken uh, the penalty. Right? So we can now stand before God when we are in Christ. That is, when we've been united with Christ through faith in him. So all we have to do and I want to emphasize that all we have to do um, is believe 
in what Jesus has done. That he has taken the penalty for our sin, the just penalty for our sin. He has paid it on the cross and there's therefore, there's no account for me to answer to. So I can now stand in the court and because I'm standing with Jesus Christ, I don't have any account to answer for. That is justification. And so we talk about justification as something which is monogistic. Another big word, but I think it's important to work, to to uh, mention. Monogistic basically means one working. One working. What we mean by that is that when it comes to our justification, there's only one active agent working, and that is God. That is God. The Old Testament name Isaiah, or Isaiah, the prophet, means salvation is of the Lord. That's what Isaiah's name means. Pretty cool name. You can call your kid that if you have a kid soon. Really good name. Isaiah or Isaiah for our North American friends. And um, so salvation is of the Lord. And, and what, what that means is that God and only God is the one who justifies us. We don't justify ourselves. We, we, we contribute nothing to our right standing before God. It's God who, who sends his son into the world to save us. It's Jesus Christ who lives amongst us, who takes the penalty for our sins on the cross, who pays the penalty. It's God who raises him from the dead, thereby defeating death, defeating the wages or the, or the result of sin. All of this is done by God for us. We're not active in, in working for our own salvation for our own justification. It's monogistic. And it's so important that all you guys know that. It's God is the author of salvation. Salvation, as Isaiah says through his name, is of the Lord from the beginning to the end. But then we come to talk about sanctification. For those of us who now stand with Christ, we're justified by faith alone. So the grounds, the basis for our right standing before God is wholly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Nothing that we've done uh, in and of our own strength or ourselves. But when our called to become followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus hasn't taken us out of this world. He says, I'm leaving you in this world. In this world, you will have trouble. Take courage. I've overcome the world. And, it be- and, and as we are justified, a, the, a process of sanctification begins where we become followers of Jesus Christ in this world. And as you would all know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment you came to Christ, you didn't stop sinning. You didn't stop failing. You didn't stop being human. But, as we read the New Testament, it's clear that we want to see the, the continual, gradual work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, conforming us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the journey we're all of us on as Christians. And this is called sanctification, which sanctify just means to set apart, to make holy. And it's important to say that sanctification is synergistic, not monogistic. So where our justification, only God works. Salvation is from the beginning to the end, all of the Lord. Our sanctification is synergistic. That means there's two or, or there's more than one working agent. We are working and God is working. God is working through his Holy Spirit in us. His Holy Spirit has now um, um, revived uh, our hearts 
and is now working in us to help us, to empower us to live according to the Word of God. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about our justification. He's not saying here, you need to work now to earn your salvation. You don't have it? Get working, Philippians. You better earn God's favor so he saves you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you've already got salvation. Now you need to be working it out, what's already, what God is already doing in your midst. So that's what... Um, what Paul is saying here and and there is a tension here I just want you to go back to chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 and this is Paul's prayer right at the start and he says and this is my prayer for you guys that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the, right, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is looking ahead and, and, and saying, there is a day when Jesus will return, and I want you to be ready for that day. It's pretty clear from what Paul says here, work out, continue, so be in this process of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's, he's, he's um, encouraging, exhorting the, the Philippians to be thinking deeply and to be involved in working out their salvation, in, in um, attaining to the calling that they've been given. They've been justified. Don't stand still. Now pursue the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this is a really important thing that we need to understand. And so Paul is, is, is talking here about uh, these things, and he says that it's both the believer, so each one of us, and God, and indeed, that's what we're going to look at in a minute, it's the community of faith, the church, collectively, that, that have roles to play in this working out of salvation. And so we need to say there's two things here to remember. The first one is the, the aspect of the community, and the second one is the aspect of God's work. We can't forget verse 13. So, again, just to make sure that it's clear, what we're not saying is that all by yourself, you now on your own have to work for your salvation and earn it. We're not saying all by yourself, you're on your own in order to work for uh, your salvation. No, Paul is saying, look at what God is doing in your midst and be working with each other and with God on this, what God has already given to you. So, let's look at those two things, the, 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 the community, or being together, um, because remember, that's what we're thinking about. In our relationships with, another, another, with one another, we're thinking about how to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. But let us, let's look first at God's work. In verse 13, he, Paul says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, again, we don't have to worry that we're all alone now and that this text should now be causing us to, to be um, existentially fearful, but rather Paul is giving us a reminder here, as you, as you make your way along this road, as you strive with the Holy Spirit to grow more like Christ, you can be sure that's God working in you. God is working in you, it says here, both to will, so God is actually affecting your will and your actions 
in order to fulfill his his good purpose. So that's what we mean by synergistic. We're working together with God. We're not on our own. And the second thing is, he says, God is working in you. And and the you here is not uh, singular. We've kind of lost that in English. In German, you've got du and ihr. So if you've come here to learn German, there's two words to start with. You singular and you plural. But that's what, that's what, um, that's what it says here in the, in the text. Paul's speaking to all of them. As a community, God's working in all of you guys. And so he's not saying to each individual, you need to work out your salvation by yourself or, or kind of with God over there. You go over there in that corner and then you go over there in that corner. But rather he's saying we as a community are called to help each other in this calling. Help each other in this calling. And I think this, yeah, this is, this is a radical call. I, I really think that. This is a radical call. And the, um, the fact that the Christian church exists today, I believe, is a, is a fulfillment of people having lived out this call in the past. Christianity would have died out if it was an individual religion where everyone took their own little thing and did their own little thing off in a corner. It's because people, and God has been faithful to his word, and people have taken this seriously to live out their Christian calling in community, in the community of the church, that we stand here on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. So, what Paul is talking about here is not how individuals, individual, get, individual, people get, individual people get saved. He's talking about how does the gift of salvation that God has done from, from beginning to end and now been given to them, how does that get worked out in the context of the Christian community and... If we read a little further, we talk about those shining like stars in the eyes of the pagan world, the unbelieving world around it. And we're to do this in fear and trembling. And I was talking before about a lion um, coming towards us, and we'd be like, I would be fearful and trembling. Um, I think most people here would. Not getting too many nods. So, okay. Well... Tame lions here in Germany, um, but but this is but, but I didn't choose that example um, just out of the blue, because um, last week uh, Brandon entitled his message "The Lion Who Became the Lamb," and our God is the Lion of Judah. He is presented as a lion, um, both immeasurably powerful and also to, to a degree unpredictable. The Lord is a dynamic. God. And so there is a sense in which we have fear and trembling. And um, because what's being, what, why, why are we fearful and trembling? We're fearful and trembling because this lion, God, is present in our midst. This unpredictable, all-powerful God is present in our midst and observing us. Um, he's, he's with us, so we need to be acting here in this community um, in light of this truth, as if God is really here. If God, as if God is really here. I remember the, um, there's a, um, a Puritan guy. Um, that means a kind of guy from a while back. Um, Thomas Brooks, if you, if you know him. And just on the side, if I just open a parenthesis, Thomas Brooks wrote a great uh, work called um, Precious Remedies Against Satan's devices or if you're struggling with um, spiritual attacks you should get a hold of that 
Uh, but Thomas Brooks, has, he had some really great penetrating um, thoughts. And he says, how many of us live, how many of us say we're Christians, but we live as practical atheists because we live our lives as if there's no God watching. We live our lives as if there's no one watching what I do you know, on Monday, from Monday to, to Saturday, or, or what I do at work, or how I treat my colleagues, or, or how I treat my family, or, or what I get up to in my, in my spare time. How many of us live as practical atheists? We say we're Christians, but we live as atheists. And, and that's the kind of thought that I'm getting at here. We, we're, fear, we're, we're full of fear and trembling here in a healthy sense because we realize, um, like I hope, well, let's take the example of the lion again. If we were caught in the lion's cage at the Basel Zoo... How we would want to be? We wouldn't want to be practical atheists in terms of not believing in the lion. I'd be like, there is a lion in this cage. I need to get out of the cage. It would be so foolish of me to live as if ah, there's no lion here. And this is the example. This is what we want to apply here. How many of us live in the, the Christian life as if there's no God watching us, and therefore it's a healthy fear and trembling. It's a fear and trembling that wow, this almighty, unpredictable, dynamic God, I am. He reveals Himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am. That's a, he's not the static God of the philosophers far away who kind of pushed the first domino and just watches it as a, as a distance as all the actions of history play out. He's a dynamic God who's involved in the life of his people. And that means, whoa, if God is really here, there is some fear and trembling to be done. And that's what Paul means here with this fear and trembling. So what's the... I want to think about the application here for us to take away from this point. And, um, well, f- sorry, firstly, I, I, talked, yeah, I talked about how it's also God working in us, and then also Paul is saying this to the whole community. This is something that we're all tasked with. And I think that's a key point that we have to grasp. If I come back to the way we've decided to sit down in the hall this evening, I don't think we're doing the best we could to show any people who are coming in here tonight who may not be Christians uh, what it means to be a Christian family. Can, am I, can I say that? You guys aren't offended? There's, there's people down there in the back row, there's people over here. I mean, what is this? Is this a show? I'm just giving you a lecture and you're kind of indifferent to the people around you and you're listening to the lecture and then you leave? Or are you actually expecting the Holy Spirit to be ministering to you tonight through us all as a body. So the, the application is radical, I think. I want to seriously call you away tonight from radical subjective individualism. And I want to call you to a radical readiness to live the common life. How, I mean, if we want to take this text seriously, Paul is saying, continue, you Philippians together. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you all. That's what the English would be, or in you's all, um, in Georgia, to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. If we if we want to fulfill that, then we have to be together. There's there's no other way to fulfill that, from that point of view. We're each individually called to be striving to listen to what the Holy Spirit is is doing within our own hearts. But this is the great. This is, the, this is the great interesting thing. Many times that's not going to come by being introspective. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit using people in the community to speak into our lives. And if we're not in the community, that's never going to happen. We're cutting ourselves off from that. So I want to 
I want to call you away from radical subjective individualism, which is how our society works here. How the the whole society is set up this way, and that's why it's so hard, because you can't just make a decision now. It's not just... This involves a radical reordering of your whole life, of the whole way in which you see the world and you see the church. It's not just taking this nice idea that you heard tonight and kind of tacking it onto your life. It's getting a new life in one sense. We have to break free of this model that places ourselves as individuals at the very center of, of, of what life is about. It's about my life, my faith. I know this is maybe cliche for some of you, but this is how the world runs. And this is not how early Christians viewed the world. This is not how early Christians viewed the world. They, came, they looked back in the Old Testament and they saw that God made a covenant in order to call a people for himself. Not to choose individual people out to kind of, kind, of, kind of for special missions to do Lone Star Christianity. He called people into, into a believing community. And it says here, if we, go, if we go on, and we'll get to this in just a moment, so that you, in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Children of God. He's using language from the Old Testament, the children of Israel. But children is, that's family language. That's family language. Children are in a family together. They have a mother and a father. They're in a family. They're not, they're not vaguely, tangentially connected with each other by, um, uh, by, by random chance. So I want to call you to, to give up radical subjective individualism and um, to hold this, this truth, um, hold on to this truth. Salvation is worked out in community with the empowering of God. To attempt to work it out on your own or under your own power is a mission doomed to failure. And I just want to say, what could that look like? And I said here at the beginning, uh, welcome to everyone who's new here, and I hope you enjoy fellowship with us tonight. And I hope that if you're new here to Freiburg and you'll be here for the next time, that you might consider making Church at Five your home. And so I want to, I want to come back to that thought what could this look like to put away radical subjective individualism? I'm the, the measure of everything in my life and, and be radically open to living the common life together. I'd like to say that commitment is one of the key, key things. Commitment to the people of God. And I, have, I'm not, I don't want to be partisan here. If you choose, um, if you're, I'm just speaking to the new people here. If you choose now after two, three weeks, hey, I had a really great time at church at five, but I'm going to go to another church in Freiburg, then that makes me really happy. But make sure you commit to that church, to that body of believers. And I say two or three weeks, maybe it's four or five weeks, don't make it two or three years. Don't get to the end of your studies here and say, whoops, I heard a bunch of sermons, I sang a bunch of songs, but Christian community didn't experience it. So commitment, commitment um, and in a, in a variety of ways. Let me, let me just go through um, what this might look like. So commitment means I'm going to be a part of this spiritual family. So I'm going to be there um, for the other people. I'm going to follow, you know, have the Jesus mindset. Um, Philippians 2.5, we've just heard it all last week. I'm going to humble myself. It's not about me. It's not about putting me first, what I get out of it. I'm going to be there um, not looking to my own interests, 2 verse 4, but each of you to the interests of the others. I'm going to put the interests of the others above. 
I'm not going to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm going to value the others above myself. I'm going to work, when I commit to this body of believers, um, 2 verse 2, then I'm going to do everything I can to be like-minded. That doesn't mean having the exact same opinion and everything, but to be, to be following uh, the vision and the calling that God has placed on that church or community of believers, sharing the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. I'm not going to cause contention. I'm not going to come in and push an agenda. I'm not going to be um, fickle and say, oh, I'm going to leave again after two weeks. I don't like this is, there's no way. You cannot be part of a Christian community and be fickle or shallow. It's all in. That's basically what the call is. And I want to encourage you to do that. And as I say, I'm not being partisan here. I'm not trying to win you over to a brand. I'm saying this is what it takes to fulfill. This is the practical application for doing what Paul wants us to do here. He's telling us, work out your salvation together with fear and trembling. Recognize God is in your midst. Be, be, be trembling at the presence of this almighty dynamic God and be aware that he's here working and you have to lay down yourself, lay down yourself on the altar and give everything to be part of the children of God. And that's really important. And um, yeah, I just want to say there's, there's a word here, self-forgetfulness, that I think is worth mentioning at this point. It's amazing, but it's, it's actually, it's true that the more we forget about ourselves the more we don't concern ourselves with what's going on in my life. And I, I know from my own experience, this is what I do. You know, you go through and think, how can I, I need to do this better, or I need to become a better, I mean, for me, I need to become a better father, I need to become a better husband. I need, instead of actually thinking about those things, the way to actually, for me to become a better father is actually just to go down and, and spend time with my sons and think about them. I actually then become a better father, even though I'm not, you know, thinking. Because if I think about how to be a better father, I'm up in my room or in my office or out in the field and I'm not with my sons. Because it's, it's, it's this, this, this key on this mystery of self-forgetfulness when it comes to others. The, the way we actually grow is by forgetting ourselves and reaching out to others. And what does this lead to? Let's, let's move on to uh, the last two sections now and I want, to, I want to only be brief here the important thing tonight was to, um, to to recognize sanctification, justification salvation is all of God from beginning to end we're justified we stand before God on the basis alone of what Jesus has done and through faith in him we're now invited to follow him and to work with the Holy Spirit to be conformed to the image of Christ to become more like Jesus and Paul is saying here, the way you do this is you do it together. And you recognize God is in your midst and God is working in you. And what does this lead to? This is, where, this is how the application now goes outside the church. Let's look at verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That is so crucial. That is so crucial to effective community life. Community is so much better when we do things without grumbling or arguing. I think everyone who grew up, grew up in a family knew that. I think if you're a parent, you know that. Um, I think if you live in a VG, you know that. And the same goes for here. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This comes from the spirit of putting others first. If I'm, if I'm putting others first, then it doesn't really matter what task I have. It, it's fine because I'm trusting in God's promises and he's going to work it out. I can just do, do whatever needs doing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So this is the way. Um, you know, working together in this way is the way that we become in one sense, or I want to say we, we live out to, to a full degree what we already are uh, by name. We are the children of God, merely because we've been adopted into Jesus' family. But we, we live that out to a full degree um, as we do these things. And, it's, and Paul says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So it, when, we, when we pursue this, this is what actually um, makes us visible to the world around us. We shine like stars in the sky to this warped and crooked generation. And I don't think we need I don't think you need me to tell you that this world is pretty warped and crooked. It needs us. It needs us to shine like stars. Therefore we should make all the more effort to live together as this community as Paul is asking us here. As you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, just a, just a note there on holding firmly to the word of life. That can also mean holding out. It can be holding on firmly and also be holding out. And I think it's both here. This is one of the, uh, it's one of the few times that Paul actually speaks about evangelizing the world. He, he doesn't often speak about that. It seems to be a given for him. But he's saying, um, do, you, do you see what he's saying? You've all been called on the basis of what Christ has done. Now, with the Holy Spirit... You want to strive to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And guys, the way that happens is, I can tell you God's in your midst. You need to be a bit, bit, bit fearful, but trembling. He's an, he's an awesome God. Okay? And he's going to be working in your midst, and he's put you together to do that. And as you do that, you are going to more and more fulfill your identity as children of, children of God, which is going to make you stand out in this corrupt and crooked world, just like stars stand out in the blackness of the night sky. And as you do that, you're going to be holding on firmly to the word of life and you're going to be holding it out to, because it's visible. It's visible. If you're a star in the blackness of the sky, you're visible. We are visible then in this world and we hold out the word of life for others. And they will come. They will come. People like stars. I mean, who doesn't like a star-filled sky as compared to a black sky? I mean, that's just stars. People will come when they see us living out fully the calling of being the children of God. And Paul then says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. An interesting thought here, and we don't want to get into it too much time, but Paul is saying, then I'll be able to look to stand at the end and face God and say, look, the calling you gave me to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the word, to, to um, spread the gospel, look, it, it's been worked out here in this Philippian church. We'll be able to say the same about this church here at Freiburg. And Paul says, basically, I'm willing to be poured out. I'm willing to die for you guys um, in verse 17 and 18. And then Paul gives them, and we're going to briefly read this and come to a close. Paul gives them two examples. He's given them the example of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, Jesus Christ, none of the Philippians had met Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus Christ is kind of like... He's Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. 
He's true God and true man. And so Paul now gives them examples that they know. Two, two guys here, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We're going to finish with this. So let me just read the text, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. So be thinking about what Paul said. We read it back in 2.5, at the beginning of tonight. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we read, we, we just, a few moments ago, we read the verses before there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. That's the, that's the background. And now Paul's saying, Timothy is like this. He actually is like this. He's an example. When he comes to you, he's an example of what I'm talking about here. He's an example of someone who's doing this. You can learn from him. I have no one else like him. Massive call there on Paul's part. Who will show genuine concern for your welfare. He's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about you. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. So Paul is saying, he's an example. Follow this example of Timothy. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And now his second example. But I think it is necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, another brother. My brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. Paul identifies himself strongly with him. He's my fellow soldier. We're fighting for the same thing who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So they knew Epaphroditus. He was one of them. They'd sent him all the way to Rome to take care of Paul. So the Philippians were on a good road. They needed to be encouraged, but they were on a good road. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. What an example that is. He longs for all of you. That is an example of how our hearts are changed to live the common life together. Do we long do we long for, for each other? Are we living community to such an extent that we could even say that that's true? Do we even know each other's name? It's hard to long for someone if you don't know their name. So, yeah, I think you get the point. He longs for them. That's the kind of community he lived in Philippi, and Paul is now sending him back. And he was distressed because you heard he was ill. <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that a strange thing? Epaphroditus was sick in Rome, but Paul's writing, he wasn't distressed because he was sick and he felt like crap. He was distressed because he's like, oh, the Philippians heard I'm sick and now they're going to be worrying about me. He was actually concerned about them, even in his own illness. He's an example to follow. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, Paul said. Paul says, but God had mercy on him and not only on him only, not on him only but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give for me. Let me just draw your attention to that final verse. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. So Epaphroditus saw himself as I'm the, I'm the representative of the Philippian church here. They're all back in Philippi. 
I know how much they love Paul and want to serve Paul, but they're not here now. But I am here. So he says, basically, I'm going to give my very life to minister to Paul. I'm going to lay down my life as a representative of this community in order to minister to Paul. That's how much he was um, consumed by the Jesus mindset. That's how much he wasn't thinking of himself, but he was putting others above himself. That's how he was working out um, his salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. If you agree, stand up and let me bless you. This blessing comes from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.